month we are talking about God has more for us. And Pastor Aslan gave a great teaching last week about how to have more in our lives through the power of, through the process, through the ability of knowing how to honor other people, how to honor God and how to honor each other and what the Bible talks about honor. Today, I want to just take the phrase itself, God has more for us. And I've called it part one because um, as I was doing a study on this, I realized that there's, there's just too much that I needed to unpack with this. So I will be doing part two either next week or the following week. And the reason why I don't know is it just depends if England gets into the final of the World Cup. So that will make a huge difference to uh, my teaching schedule. That's all I can say, right? Okay. So anyway, God has more for us, right? Now, there's something that is so important about this phrase as I, was, as I was studying it. And I noticed this, that this phrase, God has more for us, which is a really a phrase that has, as more and more that we have talked about it, we've studied it as a leadership and as a church, the more we've discovered this really defines a lot of the, of the spirit of our church, of what we believe about the life that God wants us to lead. But the more I looked at this phrase, the more I discovered that it is heavily dependent on one word, and that is God. Now, you might be saying, yeah, of course, that, that wouldn't really work out for more of us if it didn't have the word God in it. But there's something so important about our understanding of the word God, because the word God is something that we have to describe or understand or accept in order to be able to know what it is that he has for us. Now, what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to discuss, does God exist? Because that would say that God is, right? That's an existent statement. That's talking about a being. We're all here on Sunday morning. I'm assuming that we've all agreed that God is. But what I want to do is finish that sentence of God is what? What type of God do we have? Do we have a tolerant God? Do we have an intolerant God? Do we have an angry God? Do we have a please God? Do we have an upset God? What type of God do we have? Because understanding what type of God we have will help us to understand what does it mean by having more for us. Understanding what kind of God we have gives us two things. It helps us to know how to respond to God. And then it also helps us to understand what we can actually expect from him as well. Because he has something for us, we should know how to respond to him if we knew exactly what type of God he is. Now, here's the challenge that I've found over the many years that I've been in the business of passing. Here's the biggest challenge that I've found that people have. The biggest challenge that people have is this, is that we are often, how do you put it like this? Our understanding of God is so designed and predicated on what we've experienced with our own parents. What our parents were like have set certain templates within our minds and within our hearts. What we have learned to do to respond to our parents is often how we take those same tools, these same responses, and we apply them to God because that's all we know on how to respond to a fatherly figure or a figure in authority. If you had a bad father who wasn't existent in your life and really wasn't present in your life, then sometimes what that can do is it can formulate your emotions and your understandings and your responses in such a way that you actually treat that God will not be there for you either. 
if you had a, a horrible mother or someone who criticized you all the time, was nitpicking at you all the time, then it can often formulate the responses to constantly be in a defense mode of expecting that God will be nitpicking at you all the time too. You see what I'm saying? You see how this works? I mean, I had the privilege of having a good father in my life and and he was a very good father and a very good mother. And so I've had the, the privilege of being uh, trained to know how to respond to a good God because I had a good father. And so we often have this problem that we have this challenge of not knowing how to respond to God or how to expect good things from God because we're measuring God by our experiences from our past. Now, when we're looking at how to measure or quantify a being or a person, there are two ways that we tend to measure a being or a person. How do we measure them up? We measure them by two qualities. The first quality is this, their attributes, and the second quality is their attitudes. Their attributes and their attitudes. Their attributes is when we would say that they are, what are they like? Can you describe what they are like? Their attitudes are, what do they feel? More, more to the point, what do they feel about me? And their attributes and their attitudes are very, very important when we're looking at things. Now, let me, let me do a quick example, okay, if you don't, if you don't mind. Um, <clears throat> uh, let, me, let, me, let me take a quick example. Paul, hey, could you come up here a second, right? You come up, just come up here a second, Paul. If you don't mind, I'm going to use Paul as an example because he's such a holy guy, all right? So, Paul, if you could just all look at them right now, right? And I want, you to, to, I want you to look the meanest that you can, right? Just, just don't look happy. Do not smile. Don't smile, okay? Just, just look really. So I'm going to describe Paul to you, right? Paul is a pretty burly guy, all right? He's, uh, he's, pretty, he's got muscles. He's got big muscles, and he is a, he is a strong type of fellow, right? He's got some strength. And as I'm describing him, he's about, maybe about six foot tall, and um, he doesn't look like he, uh, uh, is, is, he doesn't look like he puts up with fools easily, right? Um, he looks like he could look at a grape and he could crush it just by looking at it. He's, he's, uh, he's got the type of strength that if we had to wrestle, I would probably break my back before he would break a sweat, right? He's a, that's the way I'm describing. I'm describing him physically, right? But if I just decide to describe the type of attitude he had, that he's actually a very kind fellow. He's very loyal. He's very long-suffering. He has been with this church for such a long time. He gets up and he starts to see problems and things in the church before he's told about them. And he deals with them without having to have anyone else tell him that there's a problem over there. He is very, he's very mindful of what's going on around him. And he wants to fix things before anybody else can ever, ever know or experience that there was ever a problem. I'm describing the type of attitude that he has. He wants to give the best to his wife. He wants to be able to live life to the full. He wants to embrace the type of people. He's got many spiritual children in his life, and he loves them deeply in his heart. I'm describing the attitude he has. Now, sometimes what happens with the attributes is that when we measure someone by their attribute, we can often already decide what their attitude is towards us just by looking at them. If anything, our culture is very uh, fraught with this problem because we often measure people by what we look at. The biggest problem we probably have when it comes to this is, is racism. When we see that a person has a certain color or they have a certain look or they dress a certain way, that we can often look at them and say, wait a second, I think they have a certain attitude towards me and it's been measured by their attributes, not by their attitude. Are you following me so far? Paul, thank you so much, brother. I love you. You see what I'm saying? There's a difference between the attributes of a person 
compared to the attitude of a person. And that's why I believe it's important for us to be able to understand what are the attributes of God and what is the attitude of God towards us. You, you, you follow me so far? They're very connected, but they can often be disconnected because we can describe a person in such a way that seems strong, that seems perfectionist, that seems uh, uh, intolerant, that seems like they're the type of person that would scare you, and then we can have a completely different attitude when we look at them. So let's, let's look at these two things. The first thing I want to look at is, what are God's attributes? What are God's attributes? Well, when fundamentally when we're looking at this, the, the, the theological way of looking at this is that we can say there are three fundamental things when we're looking at this. And they're, 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 very, three, they're, they're very big words. One's called omniscient. The other one's omnipresent. And the other one's omnipotent. Omniscient means that he is all-knowing. Omnipresent means that he is all-being. And omnipotent means that he is all-powerful. These are probably the three fundamental words of the way that we describe God. But the Bible never really describes God exactly that way. There is a word that the Bible uses all the time, and it's this, that God is holy, right? That's the, the Christian. That's the biblical way of describing God. And as I looked at this, I realized that there is, some, there, there, there is something about God being holy that we can split into two other descriptions of God, and it's this. Number one is, he is perfect, and the other one is, he's a perfectionist, right? He is perfect, and he is a perfectionist. Let's look at perfect. He is perfect. When the Bible talks about God, it says that he is fair, he is honest, he is just, he is good, he is pure, he is loyal, he is long-suffering, he is righteous. Sometimes you, you, you ever heard a person who can't understand, and maybe you're the type of person too, and you can't understand how is God going to deal with people that haven't quite measured up to his standard. What about those in the world that have never met or heard about Jesus Christ before, and if they die and they go to heaven, are they going to be judged, or will God let them off, or, or how is God going to measure them? Listen, I don't have an answer for that, but what I do know is God is fair. What I do know is that God is good. He is just. Well, what about all these horrible people in the world that deserve to, to go to hell? If they ask for forgiveness just before they die, does that mean they get to go to heaven even though they've done horrific things in history? I don't know. What I do know is that God is just and fair. Are you follow me so far? He is perfect, the Bible describes in Leviticus 11.44. Even God describes himself as holy. And he says, be holy because I am holy. Another way that we use the word um, Another way that we use the word for perfect is actually blameless or divine or excellent or pure. And in Psalm 18, 13, it says, as for God, his way is perfect. Believe it or not, there are some things that God cannot do. He cannot tell a lie. He cannot mock you. He cannot dishonor you. He cannot enjoy violence. He cannot look at sin. He is perfect. Think of the best attribute that you have ever seen within a person. Maybe it's your mother or your father or Mother Teresa. And imagine that God is the fullness of that attribute in and of itself. He is perfect is what the Bible says. These describe his attributes. The problem I found though is with a person who is perfect is that they are a perfectionist. Is that right? Is anybody in this room live with a perfectionist? Anybody? Anyone? No, you're not willing to point them out because you're going, I'm not a perfectionist. 
If you've ever lived with a perfectionist or you've ever known a perfectionist, what I find with perfectionists is that they are impossible to live with. Amen. I'm getting already, I'm getting amens on this one. That's good. Perfectionists are impossible to live with. I used to have a friend that was such a perfectionist. Now, when he went out in the town or something, and I went into town with him or something, if he got a small mark that was on his jean, you're like, oh, I need to go home and change my jeans. I'm like, what? Just don't worry about it. Oh, no, 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 I can't, I can't have that. It's no good. And he started you know, wiping the thing off. He just, and he had this perfectionist thing. Now, some of us think it's a psychological thing. It's a psychological disease, and, 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 and there's, there's ways of describing as OCD and that type of thing. And he had this perfectionist thing that everything has to be perfect, and if it's not perfect, then you're not at peace and you're not in comfort. Is, is anybody that's like, that here? Is anyone not quite at peace or not quite at comfort until everything is put in its place? Any confessions this morning? I can identify yourself. Okay, the fact is, you perfectionists, we actually like coming to your house for dinner. You know why? Because it's not a mess, right? Right? Have you ever been to someone's house that's a polar opposite and it's like you're stepping over stuff and it's like, has this place been cleaned ever? Right? It's just a stinky place. And they're like, oh, sorry, it's, um, there's a little bit of a mess here. Don't worry about it. A little bit of a mess. It's like a bomb went off in the place, and there's like a Chinese laundrette just exploded all over the place because there's clothes everywhere. Right? So we love perfectionists in the sense of we like to visit them and eat at their house, but to live with them is very difficult. Amen? That's a very painful amen right there. There's a story of uh, Joshua Wedgwood, and I don't know if you've ever heard of Wedgwood, but Wedgwood is a very famous china where they make plates and cups and, and saucers and things, and it's, a, it's, it's a, a British brand, and they're very famous for having the, the most expensive, most exuberant, uh, beautiful china, and he's very well known that he used to walk around his warehouse with a hammer, and whenever he would be inspecting things, if he found anything had the tiniest of blemish, he would, he would smash the plate. He'd take his hammer out and just smash it because he wasn't willing to let anything represent his name that was less than perfect. In Old Testament, it says this. In Psalm 24, 3 and 4, it says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart is what his word says. Who can do this? Even in the New Testament, Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he said, be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect. Who can live up to that standard? Anyone? Can anyone live up to that standard? I can't live up to that standard. I can, I can, I can barely keep up with half the stuff that I'm doing in my life right now. Never mind trying to be perfect as God is perfect. So knowing how God is, how we are as well, gives us a problem. Now that we know the way that God is, that he is perfect and he's a perfectionist, meaning he won't accept anything, he won't accept anything less than the best, than perfection. You see, that's why after the Garden of Eden, God couldn't just go, you know what, let's forget this. You know, let's just, let's start all over again. No, because now Adam and Eve weren't perfect. And if he accepted them into his kingdom, then his kingdom wouldn't be perfect because it would be full of imperfection. God always demands the best. He can't live with the imperfect. How then can God love us? How then can God give us more? How can we say that God has more for us if he's expecting such a high standard from us? This is where we need to switch into what is God's attitude towards us? We know what his attributes are, but what 
is God's attitude towards us. What does he feel towards us? Well, the main Christian answer to this question is this. God loves us. Is that right? God loves us. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. God loves us. That's his attitude. But wait a second. How is this possible? How can he love us when we're not perfect? You see, the problem with that is that if God loves us and is dependent on us, we're in trouble. You see, love is dependent on a quality being in the subject that makes it lovable. Love is dependent on a quality in the subject to make it lovable. Let me put it like this. I love ice cream. Anyone else with me love ice cream? I love vanilla ice cream. Does anyone love vanilla ice cream? Okay, does anyone hate orange ice cream? I hate orange ice cream. Orange ice cream is a, a sacrilege to the, to the religious worship of ice cream, right? That shouldn't exist. Vanilla is all we need. I love vanilla ice cream. Vanilla ice cream, especially just right on top of very hot brownie right there, right? And just put ice cream. Some of you are just like, I'm just feeling hungry right now, right? Some of you like chocolate ice cream, and then you put chocolate stuff on top of it, and then drizzle it in more chocolate, am I right? It's like chocolate on chocolate on chocolate, right? But I just like vanilla ice cream. Forget about your orange stuff. That stuff makes me sick. There's a quality within orange ice cream that makes me revulse it, to makes it makes me revile it. And yet it's still 99% the same thing as the vanilla ice cream. It's still mostly made up of just milk and water and sugar. It's, not, it's, not, it's only got a tiny bit of orange flavor and that has changed it entirely. But I don't like orange ice cream. I like vanilla ice cream. There's a quality within it that makes it lovable to me. I love vanilla ice cream. The same is true that whenever, when I, when I was looking for a mate in life, I didn't just go, I just have so much love inside. Let me just pick someone and anybody and I'll just take them because it's not about them. It's about me and the love that I have. No, I was looking for certain qualities within a person, right? You're not looking for just to accept anybody. You want certain qualities within them that seems to spark your love alive, right? And so if it's dependent on us, if love is dependent on us, then we are in trouble to the point that in Isaiah 64, 6, it says all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Now they've anesthetized and kind of cleaned up the scripture right here, but the original basically says this, that all of our righteous acts are like used sanitary napkins. That's how good all your good stuff is to God. It's below par. It's not good enough. It's not perfect enough. There is nothing within us that makes us lovable. There is nothing within us that would take us to be closer to God. Then why does he love us? God loves us based on the dependency of what is within himself. It's dependent on something that is already within himself. Part of this is to do with his attribute. In 1 John chapter 4, it says three times in 1 John, three times it says God is love. God is love. There is no other religion in history that has ever said that God is love. Every history, every religion in history has said that God has love, 
God gives love, but they have never said that God is love incarnate. This is something that sets Christianity apart. This is what sets God apart for us, that God himself is love. It's part of his attribute. So he doesn't love us because there's something lovable in us. He loves us because love already exists in him. The second thing is this, is that in Romans 5, 8, it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The reason why God loves us is, number one, it's because he's attribute, and number two is because Christ has made us acceptable. Therefore, God doesn't give us more because we deserve it or because we're more lovable. God gives us more because he is good and wants to show himself. And this is what I'm going to talk about in the second part of this teaching, when we discover that God wants to show himself. Now, this is a very short and very simple teaching, but there's something that I have to drive home with you today, and it's this. Listen very carefully now. The reason why there are so many of us that don't know how to accept something good from God or something more from God is because so many of us don't believe that you are good enough to receive more. You're predicating God's love based on what you have done, what you're capable of doing, or what you've committed yourself to do. God doesn't need perfection from you because Christ has already done that for you. God doesn't need a great history cleaned up for you in your life. You can't change your history. It's already said. It's done. You can't go back to tomorrow and undo the things you said or did. That's done. It's set. It's in stone. It's recorded, the Bible says. But we are not dependent on what we can or cannot do. We are dependent on the fact that Christ has made us perfect enough and God already loves us. Hello. Understanding this and changing this in your brain helps us then to be able to go, then what does he have for me then? What more does he have for me? If it's not dependent on me, and it's not to say that we're greedy and we're just like, hey, I'll just take whatever I can and I'll just not live up to standard. No, 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 no. There's something, there is only one thing that we have to give to God, and that is a submitted will. That's it. That is it. All I have to do is say, okay, God, it's all yours. I give in. That is it. If God has given you a vision or a dream of greater things, a greater family, a marriage that is intact, if he has given you a greater dream or a, or a vision of some ministry to open up a home for orphanages or to go and be a missionary or to be a businessman that knows how to fund the ministry, or maybe you're being called to do great things in the city through politics, or if you've been called to do it, there are many times that we tell God what he can't do based on what we can't do, based on what the history that we have the lack of connections we have, the inability that I've got. I'm not a great speaker. I'm not an intelligent person. I don't have great education. I don't have these skills. I don't have these abilities. And we're telling God everything he can't do through us. Listen, folks, you have to understand it was never based on you. It was always based on what he has done and what he wants to do through you. The only thing he is waiting for when it comes to you is this. Shut up give up and let him do his work through you, right? Shut up and get, give up and let him do his work through you. Stop telling him what he can't do. 
Stop telling him what you don't have and decide, God, I'm your vessel. I'm the one that's here for you. Years ago, I heard a really good preacher who put it like this. He said, when you have a pizza come to your door and you order a pizza, you're looking forward to that pizza coming to your front door, right? But if that pizza comes in a way that is not in a box, you won't accept the pizza, right? If he comes with a pizza on his hand and it's flopping over his hand, say, you ordered this pizza, Papa John's, uh, $10.50, please, for this. You're like, oh, that's a deal, but why is it not in a box? Well, sorry, we didn't have any boxes. Do you want to uh, take the pizza? You're going to say, no, thanks, I don't want that pizza. You've touched that pizza, take the pizza away. It's got to be in a box. But let me tell you, it's not the box that matters. It's not the box that makes the difference, but it's the box that is the vessel to carry the goods that bring it to you. The same is true with us, that it's not the vessel, it's not you that makes all the difference to whether the pizza should be inside it. And people are not looking for the vessel, they're not looking for the box, they're looking for the pizza. They're not looking for you, they're looking for the Holy Spirit that comes through you. They're looking for God to be manifested in your life. They're not looking to hear wise words from you. They're looking to hear from the Spirit that comes through you. But what type of pizza is going to be put in a box that is not ready, that is not willing, that is not able, that is not cleaned up by the Spirit of God? Again, it's not about how clean you can be. It's about how you can receive the Spirit of God within you. God is in the process of making us perfect. Yes, we're not complete in the whole process, but he is completing you is what the Bible says. And we can trust him to do what he needs to do through us. Listen, this morning, I want you to go away with one thing in this, in your brain, and it's this. Your God is good. Your God is a good father. Your God is a loving father. Learn how to trust him because he wants to give you more more, not because of you, more because of him, more because of the things that he wants to be able to achieve through you.